We remain standing for the reading of the gospel, Luke's gospel, the eighth chapter, beginning at verse 26. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man from the city who had demons met him. For a long time he'd worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, what's your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now, there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. And so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herd saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and the country. Then the people came out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man whom the demons had gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country, the garrisons, asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And so he sent him away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. What would it take to get you to spend one night alone in the cemetery? Not Cave Hill. Not beautiful trees and lakes and a place of serenity. But a much more barren place. A rocky hillside. Shallow graves. A few rocks piled on top. Or shallow indentations into the hillside. Small caves with big rocks pushed in front to keep out the wild animals but with the stench of death still creeping out. With the winds that blow, creating these eerie sounds, and the graves themselves screaming painful memories of brutal death. A place off limits to the righteous. A place that left you feeling defiled. A place that once you visited, you left and you lingered in a hot shower until you ran out of hot water. What would it take? Our text begins with Jesus stepping out on land, the land of the Gerasenes, where no self-respecting rabbi would go. The righteous held their noses even thinking about this place. And yet Jesus went there on purpose, weathered a storm along the way, calmed the sea, calmed the angry chaos about him, 
as Luke portrays that story. And now he steps out on land, and just going there taints him. The country of the Gerasenes saw a Jewish revolt against Rome in the 60s, the late 60s. Not the 1960s, the 0060s, the first century. And Luke wrote this story sometime after 70 AD, a few years later. The Romans killed a thousand young men at that time and imprisoned their families and burned the city. Then they went about the countryside attacking the villages. The garrison tombs contained the remains of many of those who were slaughtered by the Roman legion. We think of grief as breaking our hearts. Sometimes it breaks your mind as well. We could ask ourselves why Luke takes an account of a crazed man in the graveyard and places it after the time of Jesus was on earth and after the massacre and trauma. But Luke is portraying Jesus as this one who constantly overcomes barriers, going to places no one dares to go, and caring for people that others have given up on. Along the way, Luke throws a few darts at the Roman Empire. A naked man living among the tombs confronts Jesus, and our minds go to the pornography of it. Our cell phones come out, and we want to take a picture to put on Facebook and see about our adventures for the week. But that's not what this is about. His nakedness is about his vulnerability and about his brokenness. No clothes to protect him from heat or cold or insects. Apparently no one to tell him or urge him to put clothes on. He has no ability left and no desire even to protect himself mentally, physically, or spiritually. He cannot protect his own soul. And he falls on the ground and calls Jesus the son of the most high God and screams, what have you to do with me? I beg you, do not torment me. Can you imagine some person, some person coming and falling on the floor here in front of the pulpit and the communion table and saying, what do you people have to do with me? And begging us not to torment them. He is one defiled, living in a defiling place. What more could torment this man? Years ago, one of my hospice patients died and I attended her funeral at a church on Taylor Boulevard in the south end of town. Before the service started, they brought a man in in an orange jumpsuit and shackles, his hands cuffed, his feet shackled, making those little shuffle steps, his hands and feet chained together as well. And he sat in the front row. It was his mother being buried. The preacher came in and started the service and started the sermon and preached directly at him through the whole service. Nothing about the woman who died, nothing about her life or her love or all her accomplishments, but about judgment and repentance and the threat of hell, all directed at this man. And I couldn't help but wonder what it must be like to be in such a position of shame and to be tormented further by an angry minister 
And as signal, the pallbearers began to push the casket down the aisle out of the church, and the minister followed, loudly proclaiming that there would be no more chance to repent until another man of God, and he emphasized that time and again, until another man gave you that opportunity. He kept up this taunt all the way out the door. Do not torment me further. When I think about that, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude for the women who grace this pulpit with love and decency and intelligence and kindness with faithfully following the call of Christ. I'm honored to stand in a place where there are high heel prints behind the pulpit. We must ask ourselves how we got to this place in American religion of tormenting, judging, name-calling those we do not understand and choose to remain ignorant about. We torment whenever we, we treat someone as less or as a label or when we push people to dark places like parents taunting each other in, at a baseball game for seven-year-olds taunting each other into a brawl or when we support policies that deny basic human dignity to everyone. Jesus asked him, what's your name? And he has no name. He has no identity. It is an extremely sad moment in this encounter. He can only name what holds him captive. He says he's legion. And in the story, it signifies the many pieces of his shattered life. But there's also an overtone here of social and political significance because in the ancient Roman world, a legion was an army group of 6,000 troops. The troops that occupied their country. And the language used of the demon seizing the man is the same language used when Christians are seized in the book of Acts, and it's the same author. And the same words are used about foot chains and binding and guarding. Luke writes for an audience living under a brutal occupying force. I wonder what Luke would write about this weekend or maybe two weekends from now when we suppose we would round up immigrants and deport them. I wonder what Luke would write about children dying in cages of a brutal power tormenting more people who fled poverty and violence. I wonder what Luke would write about Sandy Hook and Columbine, a synagogue, a mosque, a church where slaughters take place. In this healing of this man, Jesus ordered the demons out. And dark Hebrew humor shows its head here. The demons beg Jesus not to send them back to the abyss, and he gives them permission to enter a herd of pigs who promptly run off a cliff into the lake and drown. It seems rather unethical to abuse some farmer's property. Maybe it helps us to know that one of the emblems of the Roman legion that destroyed Jerusalem, one of their emblems was the pig. Pig. 
Unless we think that's a crazy emblem, we need to remember about the Arkansas Razorbacks. And I must confess at this point that I really wanted to entitle the sermon Demonizing the Bacon, but my wife wouldn't let me. <laughs> Prior to our text, Jesus calmed the storm. And while here Luke hints that ultimate faith, ultimately faith prevails over brutality, it's quite an assertion. I hope you saw the brief news article that I saw about the pride parade in Pittsburgh, about the man who wore the t-shirt that said, free dad hugs. And of the 700 plus people who came up to him to be hugged, and how many hung on till they were weeping. One person with a gesture of love seeking to undo the pain of the rejection of a father. Just one person exorcising a painful demon. Whatever Jesus did for this one, it was enough to restore him to his right mind, enough to put clothes on him. And the people respond with fear. It's a jarring note in this account. The surrounding villagers heal about it, and they're afraid as well, and they beg Jesus to leave. If what my doctor does is working for me, I'm not asking him to leave town. But they do. Why? They're afraid. They are people who have seen the brutality of Rome, people who remember the massacre all too well. They're afraid the pigs will come back. Luke writes as if love will win. He says faith says that love wins. And love does win, often through painful sacrifice. One of the meanings, I think, of the cross. It takes a lot of courage to stand up to a brutal government in any time or in any place. And so Jesus is leaving. They've asked him to go, and he's going. And the man who's been healed, who's lived in a cemetery, comes and asks, he wants to go with Jesus. And Jesus says no, and it, it feels like rejection. But Jesus says, go home. Go talk about what God's done for you. Maybe this is compassionate wisdom. Because I cannot think, but after such a massacre that they have seen, that this is the only one whose heart and mind are broken. These who have witnessed the loss of family and friends need healing. And maybe this man knows better than almost any. At our staff meeting this week, Lauren shared with us a poem that I think is rich, and I asked to use it today. The healing that comes... I know how long you've been waiting for your story to take a different turn, how far you've gone in search of what will mend you and make you whole. I bear no remedy, no cure, no miracle for the easing of your pain, but I know the medicine that lives in a story that's been broken open. 
I know the healing that comes in ceasing to hide ourselves away with fingers clutched around the fragments we think are none but ours. See how they fit together, these shards we've been carrying? How in their meeting they make a way we could not find alone. That's all Jesus did in this place, just the one person. And Luke tells the story to people who are afraid, reminding them to simply tell their story, reminding them to speak of what God has done for them, reminding them they have a name and they have an identity, reminding them that they are children of the Most High God. On a personal level, our culture seeks to identify us by what we have or by what we look like or by some insufficiency created in an advertising lab. Things vie for our attention and our identity. Those things are legion. The story reminds us that we are God's beloved children, that we are people forgiven, that we are people blessed with help in putting the broken pieces back together, that we are people with future And on the social and political level, voices that are raised in our nation, brutal voices, bullying voices that legitimize more bullying and more brutality for more people, our fears seem to be legion, and our fears drive cowardly behavior, putting kids in cages, depriving them of adult care and basic hygiene, and when they die in our care, we say, ah, they were sick when we got them as if we don't have any medical capacity in this nation. This story is not just about how God loves us, but about how God loves all of us. The story of a God who goes to the most depraved places and seeking out the most vulnerable and seeking to exercise what breaks them. It takes courage to speak your truth to tell your story. It takes courage to follow Jesus in this day. Amen.